Welcome to the Yoga Meets Movement Science podcast. I'm Jenny Rawlings, a longtime yoga teacher and educator, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Travis Pollan, an exercise science professor and a longtime yogi himself. Together, we take a science-based look at many of the common questions, myths, and controversies that arise in the realms of yoga, movement, and fitness. Join us on this crash course where the worlds of yoga and movement science collide. Welcome to episode 17 of the Yoga Meets Movement Science podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, The theme or the topic that we are planning to dive into today is the topic of micromanaging when it comes to movement. And we're like a kind of based in the yoga world, our podcast is. So we're going to kind of look at micromanaging when it comes to movement in terms of teaching yoga. But of course, this is something um, that that is relevant, equally re- relevant across many movement modalities. Um, and we may touch on that as well. And I also think you, that you could think about micromanaging. So we're kind of thinking about it in terms of teaching and guiding other people through movement. But we could also think about it just uh, in the sense of just ourselves as a mover and whether we're choosing to micromanage how we move or if you're in a yoga class. Um, You may micromanage your own movements, you know, like aside from what you're being led and taught to do. So it kind of works at multi-levels. Micromanaging is a term that I'm pretty sure most of us are familiar with, but a uh, a technical definition of what micromanaging means is to micromanage is to control every part, however small, of an enterprise or activity. So I think the implication there is it's kind of like teaching movement or teaching yoga in a way in which in which the teacher is really trying to control every tiny, every small detail of how their students move. I think that's a good uh, good way to kind of summarize micromanaging. And there is a trend in the yoga world for and it's not in every yoga class and it's not every teaching style, but it's definitely a trend for yoga to be taught in a somewhat micromanaging manner. And so that's kind of what we wanted to address today. Micromanaging in general probably has a, I would suggest like a negative association for most of us. And just that term in general, if you think of micromanaging in the workplace, people don't generally use that term in a favorable way. So it's generally negative, but I believe that Travis and I don't necessarily think that teaching in a detailed manner is inherently negative or unhelpful. So we kind of wanted to take a look at that nuance today as well. So our plan for this chat is just to look at micromanaging, to look at some of the ways in which it might be unhelpful, but also to look at ways in which teaching at a detailed level may be helpful, like in what context that could that could actually be favorable. And then we want to just make all of that a little more concrete by kind of um, applying these ideas to a few really specific yoga pose or asana examples. So that's kind of that's kind of the plan today. And Travis, I'm really glad you're here with me to talk about all of this. Thanks for that awesome intro. I'm even <laughs> more excited about it now than I was before. Really? Yeah, you just sparked that. some ideas, so... Wow, I'm um, I'm really honored that you, that you think so. 
Uh, and I know like, as I, as I introduced, you know, we're kind of rooted in maybe like a yoga lens in looking at this topic, but you know, you're exercise science, strength and conditioning person. So do you feel like, do you see micromanaging in, in that realm? Yes, absolutely. And it's, it's, I think, similar in the way it manifests uh, mm-hmm. in a fitness context as what we'll talk about from a yoga context. But I could give some examples of how I've seen it and how it um, just like the the difference between not micromanaging and micromanaging and how a person might experience their their movement practice or their, or their strength training practice as a result of that type of cueing. That's great. I hope you do. Yeah. Contribute some insights from that. And I also like if there's the yoga world, if there's kind of more the strength and conditioning or fitness world, when it comes to movement, uh, there's also like physical therapy or physiotherapy. And I feel like I've noticed also a trend in, in the physical therapy world for, uh, for this topic to be brought up as well, as far as like how physical therapists might teach or administer exercises to um, their patients and how they could do that in a micromanaging way, or they might do that in a less micromanaging way and when. Yeah, it, it's interesting to think about because in a physical therapy or physiotherapy context, you're dealing with people who are injured or in pain. And there might Mm -hmm. be more of a reason why you would want to get into these nittier, grittier details, but Mm -hmm. it might be the case too, that it's not just like in yoga and an exercise context, it might not be necessary always at least. Right, right. Totally. So yeah. So I feel like I see this, this aspect of teaching movement brought up in that realm as well. And I don't know, as long as we're throwing out yoga and then fitness and then physical therapy, like kind of all those realms of movement, as I was talking about that, I was just thinking that maybe we could think of like a fourth realm of movement practices, which is kind of the um, somatics-based movement side Let's of just throw everybody under the bus. <laughs> no, I don't. I'm not bringing that up in terms of like throwing them under the bus. No, I'm, not, I'm teasing actually, because I think... When I think of somatics, I think mm-hmm. that, like I think of somatics being characterized by this more nuanced and finer details mm. of movement uh, and reflection on that as you're going through that process. Which so so you can do a yoga fitness rehab uh, uh-huh. session without micromanaging, but I don't know, or, or without getting into like the weeds of those finer mm-hmm. details of movement mm-hmm. potentially, but somatics, I think that that's part and parcel of that practice. Would you say? I'm really glad you not from a up. negative context, and we'll get into that. Like, well, how can you do? How do you do it right, and how do you do it wrong? But to me, that's what my limited understanding of somatics is that it is a very detailed practice. I think that's really brilliant that you uh, observe that because I think you're totally right. In my experience with somatics, it certainly is um, kind of honing in on the fine tune elements of movement or how one can move. But I think the distinction, at least in my experience, is that in somatics, although it's it's a de- detailed way of teaching movement, it's it's much less about control from like the top down. And it's much less about right, wrong ways of moving. Mm-hmm. In these detailed ways, it's more about you know, um, paying attention to movement in a fine-tuned manner, but with uh, like kind of a flipped emphasis, like you're just open to the possibilities you're experiencing and exploring. Oh. Well, it's not shoot. about right or wrong. That was the whole point <laughs> of this. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> so we're done. <laughs> no, we're not it, done. It, it we're is, not done. It is a good keep, way to pull out and just 
I think what it does is it shows that micromanaging and teaching in a detailed manner, it's nuanced, right? And it's in certain contexts, it can work well. And in others, maybe not so well, but it, it's kind of all about how you're doing it and with what intention. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's interesting to think about like those four just general types of movement and how really these questions could be come up and be applied in all of those realms. Um, it's all movement. But again, it's all movement, but in different contexts. So anyway, <laughs> uh, maybe taking a closer look at uh, just the, uh, micromanaging in general and what that means and what that actually looks like, just so we mm -hmm. all have a bit more of a concrete idea. Mm -hmm about what exactly this looks like. And since I'm like a yoga person and that's kind of my lens. Yeah. Could I, could I be the yoga student and you'll micromanage me through <laughs> uh, a pose or series of poses? I love that. That yes, that's perfect. Okay. Um, okay. So yeah, I'm the teacher and I'm going to teach you a yoga pose um, in, from a very micromanaged uh, perspective or in a micromanaged Super. manner. I love being micromanaged. You did. It, it can be nice and so, like yeah, and it's not necessarily always unhelpful. You're really funny. At least if you feel like you don't know what to do, then being taught in a micromanaged way may make you feel like you know it's helping. It's, give you it guidance. could give you um, some sense of safety, perhaps. Mm -hmm. But maybe not. Maybe that. Maybe that. Maybe that's what you want, but maybe that's not what you need. Hey, quick question for you. Are you someone who wants to be fit, healthy, and happy? And what if I told you you could get your dream body by simply just listening to a podcast? I'm Josh. And I'm KG, and we are the hosts of the Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast. Listen, we get it. Fitness isn't easy. Carbs, no carbs. Just stop, okay? It doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's why we made this podcast. We get straight to the facts so you can become your best you. So the way to check us out is click the link in the show notes or go search Fit, Healthy, and Happy podcast on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll see you soon. Right, right. That's an interesting way to look at it. So let's have you, I want you to come into plank pose. I want you to come into plank. So we're okay. gonna, going to start by starting on hands and knees, like in a tabletop position. So first you're in your tabletop position and I'd like you to look down at your, at your wrist creases. So, you know, we've got your, your two hands down. Look at your wrist creases and the angles that those wrist creases are making. And you want to align them so that they're parallel with the front edge of your mat. So if you look down at the two wrist creases on both hands, it's like one horizontal line would line them up, right? So does that mean you, you need to like turn them out or turn them in a little bit? Can you see, can you picture that? In my mind's eye, I just turned them out a little bit. Right. Actually, I, think... I turned the right one out and the left one in. <laughs> right. I think that I, I would have, I predict that most people do a, a little bit of, of turning out, but although you just said you did either on both, but anyway, you want to change what, where your hands naturally were so that you align with this like ideal horizontal line that I want you to Because there's align. no way that you just did it right in an okay way the first time. That's no, you don't like, you know, you, your body doesn't know how to move. You know, right. I'm here to tell you how to move. <laughs> Perfect. Thank You're you. my student and you don't know how to move. So I'm telling you. Perfect. So this is how you embody hands and knees. So that's just, that's just the wrist, you know, but then like, let's look at the rest of your hand, look at your fingers and make sure to spread them evenly apart. Like, check that out. Like, you know, are, is there more space between maybe as your wide as I can or, uh, not some, well, okay. I, I, some teachers would say as wide as you can, like flatten your hands out like a pancake. I'm probably going to 
personally wouldn't like suggest that like that's a little extreme i would just say make them even make those fingers even from including the thumb <laughs> so they're all they're even and then uh and then look at the base might you come to my around to the students maths and like inspect Oh yeah, case. yeah. In a, some, for sure, in some yoga okay. settings, that would happen. I would come around and I would look, and then I would correct you. Good. I'd be like, turn that left I don't hand do out it. a little. I don't want to do it wrong. Right. Exactly. So that's what I'm there to do. I'm there to teach you how to move your body because you don't know how. <laughs> so, uh, so that's that's that. Then we need to look at the hand in relation to the shoulder. So look at the um, base knuckle of your middle finger like the not like the base knuckle and okay. make sure that that lines up like then trace a line up your arm and make sure that lines up with the center of the head of your humerus so get my x-ray glasses out <laughs> yes exactly so you could see your bones yeah. and you need to do you need a straight basically you need a straight line if i look at you from the front from your center of your shoulder all the way down um, through the base knuckle of that. So that, that that's like finger. a hand width situation. Yes, exact. That's exactly why I'm teaching you that. Cause I want your hands to be exactly shoulder distance apart. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. That sounds safe. Like a good, safe yeah, position. right. It's joint stacked, right? Joint stacked. Your yeah. Shoulders I think stacked we've talked right about your... that before. Right. I think maybe, we have, I can't remember which episode, but we certainly have. Yeah. It's very common in the yoga world, joint stacking, which is definitely, I feel like an example of micromanaging, Perfect. I think. So I've micromanaged you a bunch already, like wrist, uh, fingers. It does. Good. Uh, and then, okay. And then I, I'm only going to do one more because you can see how this could go on really long and be really tedious, <laughs> but here's, here's just one more example. And we haven't even gotten into plank. This is um, yeah, I'm still in quadruped. I know. I know. You, you got to get me to plank. Well, you can't get to plank until well, we set you up. For. We set, okay. have to set you up right. Okay. You know, it has to be prepared. You can't just, you can't just like jump in a plank. Getting there willy nilly. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, you, you can't do that. So, uh, okay. Last thing is we need to talk about your shoulder blades on the mm. upper back, your scapulas. You know, so those are those like triangular bony plates on your upper back uh, that your upper arm bone attaches into your shoulder blades. And those need to be in the correct position as well. So uh, for plank pose, and this is, some teachers will teach it differently, but um, I'll just, I'll teach it the way that I see it the most. In plank pose, we wanna make sure that your shoulder blades are in a position that's called protraction. So they need to be broad on your upper back. If you, um, if you kind of like collapsed your, your chest toward the floor while you were in quadruped so that your shoulder blades move toward each other and there is like a valley between them, that would be retraction. That's what we don't want in plank. So you, you might even, I might even have you do that. I might have you retract and then protract, do the opposite, just so that you set your shoulder blades in the exact position I want them in for your plank. So can you feel that you did that? Yep. Yep. They're all set now. <laughs> okay, good. So you got all of that. Now you can go ahead and step back into plank pose. Perfect. And now, now I micromanage you all the way into this, this optimal ideal plank. It looks the way it should look from the well, other waist. Yeah. Did I did I maintain all of that stuff from the fingers to the shoulders? Yeah, you were supposed to. I Sorry back? if I didn't specify that. Yeah, you were supposed well, to hold I, all of that. I tried, but what if I didn't do such a hot job? Like what? What happened? What changed? Well, it's just hard as I moved, right? Oh, like you as felt I like you couldn't. Yeah, as I stepped back from quadruped to my plank, it's hard to keep the protraction and keep the 
whatever mm. else Mm-hmm. the finger separation and the mm-hmm. you know yeah and you know um, I didn't start talk- over uh yeah you do actually because you okay. lost basically the, the point is and I, I also just want to say I forgot to even teach the elbow creases and I guess yeah we'll oh my now, goodness but that's a whole that's a whole other aspect of plank pose like which way do the I, I knew I was face? missing something yeah yeah we so should have layered creases, that on too the elbow creases should face forward right yeah and it, and again um i see different people teach that different ways it could be anywhere from 45 degrees to all the way forward in my experience but you definitely don't want them the elbow creases facing each other that would be that's what you don't want okay got it so halfway in between facing and forward or forward yeah that's my experience yeah those two are that would be the right perfect so the point is like what i did was i set you up on hands and knees um in this very controlled manner like i had you override all of these ways that your body was naturally just positioning you there right mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because you were posi- you were naturally positioned in a less optimal way we had to check all these boxes to get you optimized and then you consciously through this this control you know cognitive control from your brain down to your body top down you were supposed to embody that and then hold on to all of that as you step back to plank pose and yeah, if you lose it, because it's likely that you would lose any any number of all of those points, because uh, that's a lot of you know conscious control you'd have to. Yeah, keep. how many things can you think about at one time? <laughs> that's a really good question. Sometimes I like to ask the the micromanaging teaching style, you know, that just like how, how is that possible? Like how much can you literally hold in your brain at once? Mm-hmm. Let alone then when you add movement to it. Or you, you right. change, you know, something somewhere else in the body. Totally. What if you step back to plank and then you go back to down dog and forward to plank and you do these like, you know, forward and back. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of movement. And are you supposed to hold all of the, keep all of those points in check? Like movement is complex. Like so much moves whenever we change position. So uh, I know, obviously, I mean, the way that I cued you into plank, that probably took, I don't know, like five, 10 minutes. That's certainly an exaggeration. And it doesn't really happen like that in a, in a practical way in yoga maybe, classes. But maybe that's, it does some places. In my experience, um, Iyengar yoga is, a, and also Anusara, which that's not really a style anymore. It's very much fallen out of favor. But Anusara is kind of in the tradition of, or influenced by Iyengar. Those two styles to me, uh, I don't think what I just did with you is that much different compared to what's commonly done. They're very alignment focused, like down down to the detail like that. So do you think that kind of sets a good impression of what micromanaging might look like? Yeah. In the yoga, it's like teaching down to all the way down to those details and layering on control. Yeah, maybe you could give another example for like a lower body. You don't have to Mm -hmm. take me through it for five minutes, but just yeah, to yeah, yeah. give one more total okay one more how about the pose warrior one Vera Bedrosa i know that one. one yeah you know you do know that one uh so let's say warrior one so we've got one foot forward one foot back in kind of a lungy position but then that back heel is grounded so in warrior one pose you know it's really important that you you are in it with your feet um a certain distance apart you know, and, and again, this kind of varies, but like it at least needs to be uh, sometimes I'll see like hip distance apart, but yeah. you don't you definitely don't want your feet to be like on a tightrope or too narrow. That's bad. And that it's going to be the same for everybody. <laughs> yeah, everybody should place their feet. The, I don't know what it is. Um, eight inches apart, like some some objective distance. But you're right. Everybody, every, bigger, everybody's small. the same. 
Yeah. 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 All the bodies are the same. They all move in mm -hmm. the same, same optimized manner. So right. warrior one always has the same foot width. It's the same for everyone. And then the back foot always has to angle forward for everybody the same degree. And that Meaning me, mm -hmm. that I also find ranges a little, but I'd say 30 to 45 degrees generally. Now, are you, are you go opening up the protractor app on your phone and like <laughs> bring it to each student? And I don't, I could see that potentially happening maybe in like a workshop setting, you know, like a, oh, a yeah. yoga okay. workshop where we're breaking sure. everything down. And I mean, yeah, where, where this might actually make sense. Maybe. Right. Right. Like we're actually teaching. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not so much in like a, a lead everyday class would we whip out the protractor. Okay. But that's the idea, you know, that so that that back foot angling forward, meaning as opposed to the toes pointing straight out to the side, you know, like that would be mm -hmm. zero degrees. So then it's like, what degree forward do the toes start to point? Um, so 30 to 45 degrees. And then the front knee, the front knee, let's talk about the front legged warrior one now. Like we definitely don't want that front knee forward of the ankle. Oh, and geez. we also, we also, <laughs> we also don't want it behind, you know, like you don't want it too high. Uh, the correct position for the warrior one front leg is that that front knee is directly above the ankle and the angle of the knee is 90 degrees. That would be correct. So you need to find it wrong this whole time. <laughs> Have you been doing it more or less than 90? Uh, higher than 90. Oh, so you've kind of been like in a shallower warrior one. Yeah. So I obviously haven't had good teachers. I guess not. You're, you've been doing it wrong. That's why you need mm -hmm. me. Yeah. Micromanaging good, yoga teacher. Good thing teacher. we're here. <laughs> um, I mean, there's so much more. It's a whole body pose as I, all of our yoga poses are. I could talk, we could talk about the shoulders, the arms, the spine. You know, like there's so much for every pose you could really break down. Mm -hmm. um, but do you think that's a good enough way to? Yeah, I, I think that's sufficient. Okay. Yeah. So that's how um, I slash we see this tendency to micromanage kind of manifest in the yoga world to more and lesser degrees. Of course, we're being a little extreme in these examples to get the point across. Mm -hmm. So why do we do that? Why do yoga teachers... That's a really good question. Go go to such extremes. Right, right. Well, I think one reason may be kind of what we alluded to a little earlier as we were role playing, which is the idea that that yoga students don't really know how to move their bodies and they need an authority or an expert like the yoga teacher to tell them how to move their bodies correctly. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, and do you, I feel like I see that parallel uh, kind of in, in other movement modalities as well. Like maybe, yeah. you know, like this kind totally. of common. Yeah. You need this like expert in movement to teach you how to move your body better or optimally. Yeah. And that's, that can sometimes be true to some extent, <laughs> right. um, especially when we're talking, you know, from a strength training standpoint, there are sometimes more optimal ways to do things when working with heavy loads. Right, that's from a really a good safety point. standpoint. I, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm a little more skeptical of it in a body weight yoga context. Mm -hmm. I mean, certain certain poses are higher load, even with just your body weight, and there are mm -hmm. potentially safer ways to go about it. But pretty much everything that you just described, I don't see much injury risk for not executing those 
poses at those joints with those exact specifications. Right. Thank you for saying that. When I think about those examples as well, we're talking the arms in quadruped or plank and then the lower body in warrior one, the, that all seems relatively low load, right? Yeah. So, so there, there could be situations where, yeah, you do want to make sure that your students are safe because the, the loads in those positions could be better directed or distributed with a, a given alignment, but in the context that we just described, that would not be the case. Mm -hmm. I it just like just about any way that anybody would do those things would probably be just okay. Which is to say that for you to say, oh, well, the students don't know how to move naturally. So they need to be, you know, molded into this shape. It's like for that stuff, who cares if your right. hands are like not <laughs> perfectly parallel and there's more space between your index finger and your middle finger than your middle finger and your ring finger or elbows right. are not as far rotated forward or shoulders are neutral instead of protracted or i'm a mm -hmm. little bit higher in my warrior one than 90 mm -hmm. degrees there might be that whatever the person naturally does might be just what feels right to them right or right. might be what their body is naturally organizing into for mm -hmm. a reason so we could maybe try to experiment with some different things, but we could also just let it be. I love, I love that. So it sounds to me like when we're saying that one reason people micromanage is that there's kind of a belief that people don't know naturally just know how to move their bodies. Well, that's also tied into the idea that teaching with these very specific alignment cues is protective against injury and pain. Right. Yeah. Those two are kind of connected, right? It's kind of the same. Exactly. Yeah. So people just, they just willy nilly move around and it's not safe and they need to learn how to align so that it's safe. But it sounds to me like what you're suggesting is in many, if not most of the contexts that we're talking about in a body weight yoga practice, there probably isn't that much risk of, like, like you said, you could do plank with your hands in many variations and those are just variations. It's not necessarily safer or less safe. Yeah. And in some fitness contexts, they would maybe... Plank's not the best example, but push-up or chaturanga would, would be a situation where you, in a fitness context, would be, there would be options. You could have your hands wide. You could have them narrow. You could have them farther from your feet. You could have them closer to your feet. You could have them asymmetrical. Uh, you could do the plank in protraction or neutral. Like, there, it would be more option-based as, as a, maybe as a way to make it more challenging uh, or just, just change the, change the challenge, Ch just ch give mm -hmm. ad variety if, if, mm -hmm. if, if anything, uh, as opposed to one right way. Absolutely. That's also, I mean, that's the, so basically you're saying in the fitness world, they like intent, they're intentionally created different variations of something like a push up. Where is in the, whereas in the yoga world, chaturanga is a pose that tends to be taught, like it needs to be done this one exact way, always in order to avoid injury or whatever, but you're saying in the fitness world, there are a bunch of different variations of a push-up, and people do a, a lot of push-ups at once. Like you do a set of, I don't know how many, per, you know, 10 per set or whatever in a row, and you might do three to four sets. Like that's a lot 
a push-ups to do in these different variations, hands together, hands wide, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like they don't really worry about it in the fitness world. Not, they're not worrying about saying, oh, there's this is the one right way to do it. There there could could still be execution cues with each of those, um, which could sometimes get into some of the things that we've talked about. But just the point would be that the there's no one setup because like Mm -hmm. you could take any of those quote unquote mistakes uh, from a yoga chaturanga and that would be a desirable variation (laughs) from a fitness context. That's right. That's, that's, I, I love how when we compare movement modalities, we can see like similarities and differences in what we might have to learn when comparing. Like maybe it doesn't have to be so like one right way in the yoga world, at least as far as like injury and pain goes. But if you're talking about other reasons people micromanage, like another reason is just uh, because that's the shape of the pose, like that's the final, um, that's what the aesthetic of the pose is supposed to look like. You know, if you look in the yoga books, warrior one looks like this, that front knee is at 90 that back foot angles forward exactly this. And so it's just like, we teach it that way because that's the pose. So somebody said so a while ago. Yeah, exactly. And and I might suggest that you can probably get most people into a rough approximation of the shape of a pose without necessarily needing to go all the way down to those fine-tuned details as well. But that just may be another reason that people do micromanage if we're talking about why. Mm-hmm. W- one more thing about the... So we talked about avoiding injury, but another related concept would be avoiding pain. And so that would be some of the other uh, warnings I think that a yoga teacher might give, you know, okay, make sure that you corkscrew your elbows or or turn the eye of your elbow forward um, because it's going to be safer, but that's still maybe injury. You're going to, you're less likely to develop shoulder pain if you do it x or y way um, or do it y instead of x way and that's a a really slippery slope uh and probably not like probably wrong and probably uh you just can't say something with that much confidence about an alignment based cue so subtle difference between oh you're gonna get injured versus you're gonna have pain just because pain and injury are a little different and i think we talked about that before too Thank you so much for pointing that out. Yeah, I think we t- we we talked about this maybe in our um, episode on injury. Pre- can we prevent injuries in yoga? Mm-hmm. Right. And I guess that was very that was injury focused, but we did talk a bit about how there is a distinction between injury and pain. Yeah. So either either way, we're talking like good green check mark or bad red yeah. X. Uh, but the reason why could be oh we're trying to prevent injury in the moment, or we're we're trying to prevent pain that might develop over time if you do it this way or that way. And mm-hmm. the point being that you, we, sh- we probably shouldn't be as certain about those cues as we maybe are just because pain is so complicated and it's probably not just one thing that's making your shoulder hurt. Precisely. And But if yeah. your shoulder does hurt, <laughs> yeah, that's then it's a different enough. situation yeah. in which we'll talk about in a little bit. Right, right, exactly. Which is, yeah, if you if you have an acute acute shoulder pain in the moment, that might be a little different than you're pain free and the teacher is talking about you need to align this way in order to avoid pain in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not fortune tellers, and like like you said, pain is just so complex and multifactorial. So how can we how can we ever really know that and pull out one factor and then say that's going to cause this in the future? It seems yeah, pretty unlikely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. 
Okay, so yeah, so we kind of have we've we've kind of covered uh, why, like why the draw to micromanage. Maybe we'll think of another reason. We'll oh, maybe maybe another reason would just be like uh, power trip. How do you say that in a little <laughs> bit of a nicer way? The, that was at the tip of my tongue. I was going to say control. There you go. Um, that's better. Like that the yoga teacher has control, right? Like they're in charge. Is that kind of what you mean? Yeah. Well, I guess two things. Like, well, you know, one one way it could be a little bit more favorable would just be the teacher thinks that that's what the students expect. So they're trying to yeah, right. uh, just satisfy the expectation that the students are going to come in there. Teacher is really smart. Teacher knows best. Teacher is going to teach me all of these nuanced things about these poses, and it's going to make for a better practice for me as the student. So that's one thing. But then also the teacher might just be showing off or mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. something related to oh let me show how much i know about the fine details of yeah. the poses and maybe the students do or don't care that's you such know, a good that's point. not what they're maybe that is or what isn't what they're there for no you're so right i mean i guess i feel like uh showing that you have this knowledge about the best way for people to move their bodies does kind of set you as the teacher apart like up on a higher level like you're the authority in that situation there is a power dynamic and and we kind of reaffirm that by continuing to to be the one that directs and guides how other people move their body in that kind of controlling manner. For better or worse. Exactly, exactly. And I think we'll, sh we'll talk in this conversation about how like a yoga teacher can certainly guide and teach and, and um, use cues and guide people through movement, but it doesn't necessarily have to be in that same way where like I'm telling you what's, what's right. But I, I totally think that's part of it. That was at the tip of my tongue too. So, uh, like we've, we, we, we've kind of gone over some of these or we've um, implied some of this already, but just to be really concrete about it, specifically, why is micromanaging in a yoga movement context? Why is it unhelpful? Why is it limiting? Maybe we could just kind of, kind of quickly go through some of these reasons. Just a quick moment to interject and to thank you for listening to this episode of the yoga meets movement science podcast. As you can probably tell from this conversation, Travis and I value taking an evidence-based approach to the body and movement, which means incorporating insights from scientific research into our practice and teachings. We channel our understanding of movement science into our Strength for Yoga remote group training offering, which is a monthly strength program we created to make strength training accessible and relevant for yogis. Our program empowers yogis in both their yoga practice and their whole life in general. Our Strength for Yoga program also comes with unlimited access to my full yoga class library. Use code PODCAST30 for 30% off your first month in our program or your first month in any other membership on my website. You can learn more and sign up at JennyRollings.com and the link is in the show notes. And now back to our episode specifically why is micromanaging in a yoga movement context why is it unhelpful why is it limiting maybe we could just kind of kind of quickly go through some of these reasons yeah so the the one that i i alluded to before was just the idea that there really isn't necessarily a right or way right or wrong way to move and, and oftentimes people's bodies will self-organize or self-select the yeah. shape that is going to work best for them Mm -hmm. And uh, related to that, it just 
well, so that there may not be a right or wrong way and people might figure it out on their own. And if you do micromanage, then you might create the belief that there is a right, or you might reinforce that idea that there is a right and wrong way, which can be a slippery slope. Right. Like perhaps students might internalize that and take that idea with them off the yoga mat into their daily life. Yeah. And then think that they need to micromanage how they move their body off the mat all day. Yes, exactly. And I think, I think some teachers might even, that might be their goal. I think think? you're right. Yeah. When we get into those, there's those um, blurring the lines, I feel like between a yoga teacher being a movement teacher versus a yoga teacher being some shade of healthcare practitioner or pain professional or something like that. I don't know if that's what you're implying. Yeah, that that could be part of it. But just the idea of like, oh, I'm going to teach you this right way to move on the mat. And then you're going to carry it with you throughout your day. Yeah. Because this is the right way to move. I definitely think that happens. Not just uh, this is the right, not just this is the right way to perform this pose, because that's how it is in the book. <laughs> but, but this is the right way to move in general, yeah. and make sure that you keep this, uh, keep mm-hmm. all of these things in mind, all of these eight hundred things in mind as you're going <laughs> about your day to day. Absolutely, I I think you're very right about that. I think that um, that can can happen. That seems to me to be a plausible thing that could happen. Is as yoga students can pick up these ideas and then, and um, it's uh, it's ultimately, of course, there's some individual context in which maybe it serves someone to micromanage, maybe temporarily, maybe they're working around pain or an injury, and they do need to like think about how they move for a temporary time until it's better, but. In general, by and large, we don't need to be micromanaging our movements um, off the mat. Uh, yeah, we on on or off the mat, but especially yes, off the mat. Yes, on or off you the can, mat. If you want to manage, micromanage or be micromanaged on the mat, like, and that's your prerogative, great. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't necessarily need to carry with you off the mat. Exactly. Exactly. So, so one of the drawbacks of teaching in that in that style is that it can uh, it can influence people to then move that way in general. And it seems like when you when one micromanages, what they're generally doing is we're overriding the way that our nervous system naturally wants to move our body. So we're just kind of interfering with with what would otherwise be, you would think it would otherwise be smooth and efficient movement that would just naturally take place as you move your body uh, through life. Or if we're talking on the map. Of course, there are some containers, you know, like you're moving into down dog. That's a shape that we're all moving into. But but um, people can still move with a little more freedom within the constraint or the context of that shape. Or they can move with less if the teacher's like overlaying all of these cues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it just seems like micromanaging. One of the reasons it's unhelpful is I think it can create less efficient movement and interfere with just like the natural way there. Do you think? I think so too. It can overcomplicate movement. Yeah. I think we clearly demonstrated that in our examples when it took five minutes to step back from (laughs) tabletop or quadruped to to plank. Exactly. If I were a newer yoga student and you were throwing all that at me, I would just be like, I just wanted to get here and here and move around and like get some exposure (laughs) to this cool movement practice that I heard about. And then like, I wasn't even allowed to step back into plank because I couldn't figure out how to get my elbows pointing forward or whatever. Uh, Mm -hmm. That's an unnecessary barrier and potentially going to turn some people away. 
like some people might some more experience well everybody's different maybe maybe some newbies would enjoy mm -hmm. the that aspect of it because they would like i said originally they might feel safer they might feel right. like oh i'm getting such good guidance i'm moving because they come into it thinking that they need to move a certain right way mm -hmm. uh and then some people might uh some more experienced practitioners might come from uh previous experiences where they didn't get a lot of detailed or nuanced cueing so then to come into that they, they might crave that like oh i i really want to perfect my alignment right for whatever reason so mm -hmm, that they look mm -hmm. more like the book or they think that they get more out of it or feel new things or whatever uh which is fine like i said but it, it be, we like we mentioned before it can lead to those kind of can lead down the wrong path to then people thinking that there's only one right way um, mm -hmm. or the they're destined for injury if they don't do it that one right way. Uh, and, and so it's, we'll talk about this more, but it's like, what's, what, what is the narrative surrounding it mm -hmm. in terms of, okay, you can practice with this more nuanced approach joint by joint, uh, because with with the right intentions uh, mm -hmm, from an exploration mm -hmm. standpoint, or you can give all the same cues more or less, um, but it, it can have that kind of negative tailspin to it. Totally. That I think that's so true that, um, yeah, we can still, we could be detailed in the way that we move our body, but just in a different context with a different like um, presentation or story around it. And it can have totally different effects. Mm -hmm. So, so going what, like the last thing you said about efficiency. Yeah. This is, this is actually really well understood from a motor control standpoint or motor mm -hmm. learning or and motor performance too. So when you coach people, too much into the weeds, um, their performance deteriorates. So if they're right. thinking about too much or too many things or too internally focused on what their muscles are doing or how their joints are moving or how things are feeling, that would be the opposite of what you need for high performance, which is usually more of an automatic process where, okay, you've taken the time to uh, fine tune things previously and now you've practiced, practiced, practiced to the point where it's become automatic. And that's going to allow you to execute the movements more fluidly and more accurately mm -hmm. and for a higher, like with better performance. That's, that's usually applied to like a sporting context. Mm -hmm. Like a good example of that would be shooting free throws in basketball. Yeah. Uh, you would not want to micromanage someone through that process or, or have them be overly focused on what their wrist is doing or what mm -hmm. their, whatever elbow, um, shoulder. yeah exactly like, like there's a an uh i've come across this example a couple of times so if you're playing tennis and your mm -hmm. opponent hits a nice serve and you say hey what did you do with your wrist on that one that was a really <laughs> good serve then the next time they're like what did i do with my wrist on that one and they start thinking about their wrist and that can throw them off Throws because they weren't off. thinking about their wrists before they were just thinking about putting the ball in a particular spot or like placing the ball during the, yes. the, the surf over so, the net and in that spot. Yeah. So anyway, the, the whole point is that when you micromanage, you can reduce the efficiency and maybe that again, maybe that's desirable because maybe you're not in need or wanting a very, maybe you're, 
purposely introducing uh, less efficiency because you're right. trying to, you're, you're, I don't know, you're trying to improve some some of those, whatever the reason is. Maybe you can think of something, yeah, but I think, but yeah. in general, uh, maybe that wouldn't be what you want. I think you're, yeah, you're totally, especially it, it all, it all comes down to like what your goal is, right? Uh, efficiency and performance, especially in athletic context, it just makes a lot of sense that you don't want to bog people down by like having them consciously interfere with these otherwise pretty self-organized and automatic movements. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a final point for how micromanaging can be unhelpful. And we're not going to get into this too much in this episode because we have an upcoming episode that we'll talk about this more, but micromanaging specifically with the idea that that holding your body in these specific alignments will prevent pain or prevent injury that can be that can lead to something called a nocebo right and a nocebo is like the opposite of a placebo and basically a nocebo is um negative expectations uh, of an otherwise harmless event uh and that resulting in negative consequences like pain so if you're told that something can cause pain and then that creates a negative expectation for you about that movement, but if that movement or whatever it is was otherwise harmless and isn't actually something that's known to do that, then just the the sheer fact of you creating those negative expectations could be something that in the future may contribute to you feeling pain because as we know, pain is complex and has many factors that go into it. So it just seems like if you teach yoga with a lot of these cueing around like align your body in this specific manner in order to protect you know your joints protect your shoulder your hip whatever that could uh potentially it uh, seems like there's a mechanism there for how that could um influence the nocebo effect in students and i'm sure it's, it's really dependent and it's not like a hard and fast rule but it doesn't seem the best to me in terms of that right yeah i think that's really important and mm-hmm. i think that outside of physical some physical therapy contexts where i hear that discussed where at least that's where i learned about it uh i don't think that's widely don't, i don't think people widely know about that the um, nocebo effect yes and so it, i think it's important that <laughs> uh well we're yeah. going to talk about it more uh in yeah. an upcoming episode and i i think that it needs to be talked about more because i think that totally it can be very problematic. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for saying that. So I think it's good. We're going to plant this seed and maybe some of our listeners have not heard of nocebo before. Uh, It's a great topic to know about. It kind of opens the doorway into a lot of understanding about pain science. And it it sounds like a made up word, but it, well, (laughs) I guess every word was made up at one point, but it's a real word. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 We didn't. Yeah, totally. It's, you can look it up. It's a thing. Jenny didn't make it up. We didn't make it up. No, yeah. that definition uh, I gave for it is like the definition. Yeah, yeah. The the one other thing, and, and I think we uh, touched on this or or danced around it, is the the idea of creating dependence with oh yeah uh, within a student um, on the teacher. So yeah, and and this is well, there are so many examples of this uh, in related contexts, but just the idea of like, well, I can't move without like I need the teacher to watch me to make sure that yes. I'm moving correctly because oh they told me that I was doing it wrong before and uh I'm really worried now and I just I'm not comfortable moving on my own without my teacher's eye to let me know that it's okay and that's oh, just so true. that's no that's good that now you've positive. added now you've created a barrier 
to movement where somebody can only move during a yoga class where they know they have eyes on them. Uh, and yeah. that, that just isn't necessary. It's like the opposite of uh, helping foster someone's like sense of agency. Right. Or like empowering them in their body. Like they can move their body and listen to their body and let that drive them. Yeah. So that, that would be the other thing is if we allow people to move authentically and naturally and encourage them when they're doing so that builds confidence and comfort and to the point where maybe they could practice yoga on their own on at their home own. if they can't make it to the yoga class. Exactly. Uh, and now they're going to have more opportunities to move and mm -hmm. just have experience that without the necessarily needing to go and be in class. And it just gives people more options and more 100%. confidence and all that stuff. Absolutely. I'm really glad you brought that up. Yeah. So like that uh, micromanaging leading to a sense of codependency mm -hmm. and the opposite of like, yeah, giving people agency over their own bodies. Another classic example of this would be in a physical therapy context where oh, yeah. the physical therapist is adopting or, or portraying themselves as a fixer and yeah. they're fixing you and you can own, they are the, they have magic hands. They are the only ones who can, you know, they have the key to unlocking your pain. And, Resetting uh, you, realigning you, whatever. Yeah. Re releasing yeah. your trigger points, whatever. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and so, you know, you, if you're in pain, they're the only person who can help you as opposed to you being right. able to help yourself. And again, just like we're going to talk about with the cueing, you can give all the same cues without creating that. You could do all the same, many of the same, at least techniques from a rehabilitation standpoint, but frame it as the person mm -hmm. having the, their own keys to unlocking their pain and you're just guiding or facilitating or whatever so that they, you don't create that dependence so that they don't feel like they need you anytime something's bothering them. Absolutely. That's such a great way to empower them and not necessarily create this like, dependence, sense of dependency. But I think that's a great parallel. And I think something that you mentioned a little bit ago uh, about how like in a physical therapy context that, um, that they could use like these same techniques in a way that could create codependency and rob people of agency, or they could use the exact same techniques, but it's how they, the context in which they use it. And then it could be, have a totally different effect. I think that plays into micromanaging and teaching in a really detailed manner as well. And that can maybe lead us into talking about, and we can just briefly touch on some of these points, how teaching yoga students or movement students in a detailed manner, how we, that actually could be helpful. We've spent time, a lot of time in this episode talking about how it's not so helpful, but how could we actually do the same thing? Like from the outside, it looks the same. You're still cueing in these very detailed ways and bringing people's awareness and attention to these small bits of alignment and movement. How could that be done in a way that actually was helpful? Like it's not, is it necessarily always bad? I don't think we think that, right? Definitely not. <laughs> I mean, right. I, definitely, I definitely think it's not always bad. Right, right, exactly. So maybe what micromanaging is, like the technical definition of micromanaging is like controlling every aspect of the task or whatever, no matter how small. I feel like it's that word control that kind of sets it apart. I think we maybe can agree that when we micromanage by that definition, that's that's probably not good in general. I can't really think of how that could be good, but we could still teach in a detailed manner, but then that's not micromanaging if we take out that element of control. Do you know what I mean? 
Am I making? I do know what you mean. Yeah, that makes (laughs) sense. So how do we do that? Yeah, how do we do that? Um, Well, there are a lot of ways. I think maybe if we maybe if we go back to just uh, something like just like the cues I gave you for quadruped in order to yeah, yeah, yeah. again, those were very extreme. And I'm, I don't think we would suggest anybody really do that. But as far as like having someone pay attention to their alignment, um, one way that actually teaching in a detailed manner could be helpful is what if the yoga teacher has a specific intention for loading a specific tissue or attempting to try to strengthen a specific tissue? Right. In that case, it actually does matter how someone aligns their body. Right. And so maybe asking for some attention to detail, maybe not necessarily all those things that I said, but some attention to detail so that you can um, align the person's body so that the loads that are applied in the pose actually target and load the tissues of interest. Yeah, but probably not framing it as if you do it this way, then this bad thing will happen, but more Mm -hmm. from the lines of. Where do you feel it? Oh, I yeah. feel it in my eyeball. Oh, I want you to feel it in your shoulder. Well, try this or explore this. Yes. I eyeball. That's that was a terrible example. Maybe, <laughs> maybe they, maybe they feel it Just in somewhere their, way off. Somewhere way off. Yeah. Uh, maybe they're feeling it like in an uncomfortable way in the in a particular mm-hmm. joint, and you're trying to direct the loads to more to like a muscular. Yeah. Or what if it's an example of like bridge pose, but teaching bridge pose with the intention of getting the glutes to fire, of targeting the glutes, you know, like what would be called a glute bridge in a fitness sense. Mm -hmm. If you're teaching someone a glute bridge and if they tell you that they feel it in their back. Yes. It's not necessarily that it's bad or injurious that they feel it on their back, but it probably means they're working in their back. And maybe we don't, maybe we really want to just direct the loads primarily to the glutes, right? Yes. So in order to do that, we would actually, I mean, you could, um, I guess I wouldn't call it micromanage because that's, you know, the negative, um, negative element, but we would in a detailed manner, change their alignment or teach them how to change their alignment so they can yeah. direct the loads, Off- right? Offer them some alternatives. Right. Hey, try this. How does that feel? You know, exactly. dorsiflex your ankles, um, uh, posteriorly pelvic tilt. Engage mm-hmm. your abs, uh, drive through the heels, whatever, push your knees out, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but from an exploration sense, not from a, well, you're doing it wrong. You're going to hurt your right. back. Do it this way. Just like, try this. Exactly. How does that feel? Like in that moment, for whatever reason, if you had the goal of them getting into their glutes, like firing their glutes, what well, not firing, but activating their glutes, working their glutes, then if they're not feeling it there, um, then yeah, you can you can use some different options to help them find that. Or if we're thinking about quadruped back on hands and knees and the um, the way the elbow creases are facing, remember that example? And we were like, generally we're taught they should uh, be 45 degrees or forward, something like that. So as far as teaching that as like uh, in a micromanaging way, that's probably not so great. But what if the teacher had like a mobility drill in mind for shoulder rotation? In that case, they may have someone Ooh. in quadruped. <laughs> And have them intentionally take the eyes of the elbows all the way forward, like to their end range. And then with um, control, rotate them all the way till they face each other. And maybe even a little further back. It depends on what their range is. But they just Ooh. go forward and back, forward and back with their arms straight and their hands down to rotate at the glenohumeral joint, the shoulder joint through a full range. I don't know. What do you think about that? I think that's wonderful. And I think that we're even telling them to explore the mm-hmm. aspect of the 
or the alignment that we would traditionally say put the red x on top of mm -hmm. and i think totally. that's okay right let's explore mm -hmm. that how does that feel let's explore the opposite how does that feel okay now now choose the spot that feels best to you oh, that's that's perfect so i was using that rotating as like a mobility drill example yeah. but you're you're using it in, in a even a cooler way which is like for exploration so people feel how it feels in their body and then they choose for themselves the alignment they want to take yeah is that kind of what you're saying yeah so we can like with awareness lead people through movements and notice their alignment but have them feel their own body so they can settle on what feels feels right for them i like that so that's a good so yeah so in that sense that's the teacher using the details of movement and the details of alignment they're still they're still teaching maybe in a detailed manner but the context the reason the intention isn't correct incorrect it's like let's help you learn about your own body and how things feel yeah and not not that like i know what's right and wrong for you or for everyone but like mm -hmm. you you're the you're the expert in your own body you try exactly. it both ways and then figure out like decide for yourself totally so as the teacher we're like guiding students in learning more about their body rather than telling them like in this power dynamic like we know what's best for you and this is how you should do it right yeah totally. and you can use details you can teach in a detailed manner you know sometimes to uh facilitate that but you can also not use details and still um still try to facilitate that but and maybe you could even go the other way which would be to be like where, where we just said, okay, uh, elbows all the way in, elbows all the way out. Where do you feel it here? Where do you feel it there? But you could say, okay, we're trying to direct the, maybe this is a better example for the glute bridge. We're mm -hmm. trying to direct the, the loads to the, the glutes in this pose. Try a few different things and see, like mm -hmm. you find the things, and maybe this is more of like a one-on-one -on -one or private session thing, but you tried a few different things and you you tell me what seems to uh shift the loads to different places like what what can you think of i love that yeah like like feet wide um try your feet wide try your feet narrow try your feet more forward try your feet more back you know all these yeah. different yeah and then to what say do like you feel? oh well yeah don't even tell them like well this way does one thing and this way does mm -hmm, the other mm -hmm. it's just like well what do you feel and then be, and that's better too because like what like okay biomechanically yeah maybe i think uh dorsiflexing the the ankles will do that for you but everybody's different so like if if i tell you this you'd be like oh yeah i feel that but i would rather you tell me what you feel without me uh trying to or without me li guiding you or leading you in one direction i love that and i think too to keep for all of us to keep in mind that in a in a yoga context, which is like body weight and um, like it's a little, of course there is some strengthening that could happen in a yoga context, but it's not the same thing as a strength training practice, you know, like in a what, off the mat. So in general, uh, I would suggest that a yoga practice is, is in general probably less about um, needing to build strength uh, in certain ways and more about just like exploring and movement and mobility and things like that. So it seems to me if those types of goals are your goals, uh, that that especially those types of cues, what do you feel in your body? Let's be more exploratory about all of this and you'll learn more about your body and then you can in an empowered way uh, position how, you know, how it feels best to you. That seems to be especially appropriate for something like yoga versus maybe like a strength training, like a strength and conditioning context where 
I'm doing bicep curls. I'm really trying to target the biceps. So I, I need to do it this way or something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. It's just, I think, yeah. I think there's, there's a lot of inherent safety built into just having a body weight practice uh, mm-hmm. where you, you really do have the opportunity to explore with minimal potent with low risk mm. for adverse events. Totally, totally. So it seems to me like that's playing a much bigger role in something like a yoga practice, uh, potentially, than in some of the other movement modalities. Mm-hmm. And then we, we alluded to this before, but just if you are dealing with pain, and yes. this wouldn't be for yoga teachers necessarily, unless you're also a licensed therapist uh, from a medical like- context, but if you were dealing with pain, then that would be a good, potentially a good opportunity to deal with these finer, tu- mm-hmm. uh, like finer tuning things, smaller totally. aspects, smaller details, um, because you are trying to work around something that's bothering somebody. Um, totally. But you can, there's a, again, there's a right, uh, right and wrong. There's a better and worse way to <laughs> go about that. The worst way would be to say, well, you have to, uh, point your elbows this way when your hands are on the floor to protect your shoulder uh, forever after. Like this is just what you right. you're gonna have to do because it's gonna be it's gonna save your shoulder. Versus this is a temporary modification that we're making right now while your shoulder is sensitive, but you won't necessarily have to do it this way forever. Absolutely, and I think that's that's important uh, from the person's sense of self in terms of just knowing that it's temporary and it's mm-hmm. it's a modification that they're making right now but it's not a right and wrong thing that they'll be forever destined to doing it that way 100 percent. so if like a yoga student has shoulder pain when they do a specific pose in that moment the yoga teacher to me it seems to help them modify to avoid that pain. Maybe within that's within their scope, I feel like. Um, they're not like treating the pain or it's not like a PT. That's Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, just like in that moment, in that pose in my class, I wanna help you so that you avoid the pain, which al- yeah. also there's a whole other conversation about when is it okay to feel pain? And we're not gonna get into that here, but just no, assume we want enough. that person to avoid the pain. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah so the <laughs> person, can... uh, today my shoulder hurts when I do chaturanga. Yeah. What should I do, teacher? Exactly. And then teacher will say, do this or that. Uh, but that's it's different from, hey, my shoulder hurts. What can I do to rehabilitate it? Exactly. Uh, it's more exactly. working around than trying to work. What yeah, treat. Treat. Yes, treat. That's it. <laughs> right. So in that sense, I think what we're trying to say is that's another example in which teaching in a detailed manner may be helpful when you're trying to help someone work around pain. So you might just... Uh, you might just guide them to try a few different alignments. And that's what we mean by detail. That's like, well, maybe for Chaturanga, take your hands a couple inches wider. And that might seem like a small adjustment, but it's for this purpose of working around the pain. And that that could potentially be helpful. The interesting thing is that in a PT context there, like back pain would be a good example of this, is that for a long time, maybe we've talked about this before, but for a long time, the micromanaging aspect of it was like the the go-to treatment, like, oh, you're this muscle, this multifidus or Mm -hmm. transverse abdominis isn't firing and do this small detailed thing before you do any movement or while you're doing a movement or during all of your core exercises or whatever. And then 
more recently, I think we're coming to understand that like, you don't have to be that, like that's fine and the person will probably get better, but you can also probably do it without doing all totally. that. Or maybe you can just go for like do general exercise and not even focus on any of that stuff. Like, like okay, the one extreme would be, okay, we're gonna activate the TA while we're doing core exercises. Then a little that's bit true, less- that, What's the TA? Uh, transverse abdominals. And how do you activate it? Uh, drawing your navel in- In navel uh, to spine, know, yeah. Navel to spine. So then uh, the next step back from that would be like, well, we're just going to do core exercises because we think the core is important for, you know, core strength is important for back pain, but you don't need to worry about navel to spine. Mm -hmm. And then the step down further from that would be, well, we're just going to exercise. We're, yeah, we're just, just general. And all of those things <laughs> seem to help with back pain. So but it doesn't you, have to be so yeah, specific. Did you not to say that the specific stuff doesn't work, but did you really need it? And was the specific yep. stuff actually the active ingredient in what helped the person get better? Or uh, was it just you, they could have done anything that, because they were moving? Movement in general. Yeah. And, and people who have only ever done the, the nitty gritty stuff will say it was the nitty gritty stuff. It was right. the TA that was the problem. And I know because I've had so much success with that. And it's not to say that that doesn't work. Right. But right. is that the mechanism? Is that the reason? Yeah. Okay. And do, yeah. yeah. Do we even know at this point, like as far as what we know about what influences pain, like how to, you know, how to, when something you do something and you feel better, like, why did you feel better? I don't know that we even really have that drilled down yet. Mm -hmm. It's like so complex, but I'm glad you're bringing this up because we need to very quickly go through our concrete examples. Rapid and fire. this was on our, this was on our list. Naval design. Yeah. Cool. So we yeah. Knock that one out. That, so the reason for that is usually to protect the spine or either prevent back pain or cure back, you know, treat and cure back pain. And mm -hmm. um, that has helped people in the past, but it might not be necessary. Right. And we're using that example of cueing navel to spine, which is very common in the yoga world, in the Pilates world, in the physical therapy world. And the idea is it's activating transverse abdominis and you need that, like for all those reasons that you said. You and I are suggesting that the navel to spine cue is generally a micromanaging cue, right? Yes. It's not necessary. Not necessary. It overcomplicates over movement. Um, it overrides the nervous system. Yeah, the body will create the stability that it needs for the task. Yeah. Somewhat naturally. reflexively. Yeah. Reflexively, reflexively. That's a good word. Yeah. And um, especially, especially, especially in a body weight yoga context. Totally. So just a couple other, let's do a couple other of our ideas we want to talk about for making this a little more relevant. How about the cue that I think most of our listeners can relate to hearing? This is a cue in downward facing dog that's given so often we, t we lead people into down dog and then we tell them to externally rotate their shoulders or uh, we use other cues that make that happen. Whether or not we say those exact words, we might say roll, uh, you know, turn the eyes of the elbows to point forward or wrap your triceps back, which is like, that's all effectively creating external rotation of the shoulder. So that does it I ever uh, come from the hands, like corkscrew the hands into the ground? That's a really good question. I find that it, does not usually i've seen that cue that you're giving um or mentioning like kind of more in the fitness realm but in yoga yeah. it's usually usually... that's for like a squat so i was just wondering if uh, you, oh, like they would say oh, to create yeah. external rotation at the hip 
corkscrew your feet into the ground uh, prior to squatting or deadlifting. I was just wondering if that That's was a really good point. In um, yoga, it's it's usually taught like this outer inner spiral thing where the upper arm is supposed to externally rotate and then the oh. lower arm is supposed to internally rotate because yeah. you're supposed to keep the inner hand down. Which ah, you you and I made a video right. about this actually. Yeah. And that's that's different from the foot because the external rotation actually um, picks the like creates the arch, which is what you want. Oh yeah, but, that's so true. So it's a, a little different. No, it makes the arch, and you want that like in a squat, but in downward mm -hmm. facing. Yeah. Well, they, tr traditionally they say you don't want the the what's the word the heel of the hand. Maybe that's not the word. Mm, the inner ball of the hand, like the base yeah, of the to, index finger. Yeah, they say you don't want that to pick up. And yeah, I think I think that's unnecessarily. Yeah, that's a whole nitty gritty. We could have put that on our list to talk about today. That's another micromanaged thing that, um, yeah, yoga teachers will always say ground down through the base of your index finger, and that that's really important. Um, maybe we're implying that it's not necessarily so important, and maybe another example of micromanaging. Maybe the body self organizes, and when you send more weight into the upper body, like if you come forward into plank from down dog, maybe you're naturally just going to ground down through the through that spot on the hand that sometimes we see lift in the downward facing dog, right? Mm -hmm. um, gosh, it's just funny because we didn't even plan to, to talk about that point, but you can just see how these micromanaging cues come up everywhere. We we're going to talk about externally rotating the shoulder and down dog, but then that gets totally wrapped up into this ground the inner hand down. You kind of can't, they're not separate. So what, would there be a situation where you might, well, okay, so what we're saying is that's not, you don't need to provide that cue from a safety standpoint. That's what that's we're, right. And that, that's why the cue is usually given. We don't. We're like wary of uh, not external externally rotating the shoulder is thought to be the safest position for the shoulder in that arms overhead position and down dog. And we are trying to avoid internal rotation um, because that's thought to be dangerous or provocative. That's right. And um, that's just not blanketly or uniformly the case for everybody. There could be certain people for whom that externally rotated position is more comfortable. And so for them, it would be fine. Um, but it's probably not necessary to apply that cue to every person in the room. Yeah, like not um, consciously overriding the rotation your nervous system would naturally make for you in down dog. Um... I think it's kind of that idea, like let the body self-organize. We don't always have to layer on this cue of every, mm -hmm. every, you know, if people naturally come to down dog, they're generally not going to then layer on top of that, this, this active external rotation, you know, they don't like, it's like this, this layered on um, overriding cue. And I think we're suggesting that that's micromanaging and it's not necessary and we can let people just let their shoulders do their thing. Mm -hmm. But there, there might be some situations where it would be okay. Mm-hmm. Like we Such said, as. all the reasons that it could be helpful that that micro um, that teaching in a detailed manner can be helpful in some ways. Right. So allow create some awareness. Like it's not a. It can be like what you were describing of the dissociation between the forearm and the upper arm. Yeah, is is like kind of an interesting movement exploration. Totally, uh, and, it, and it's a nice way to create some different tension through the mm -hmm. the shoulder and into the the rest of the arm. And again, if the person has pain in down dog, just when they do it naturally, well, let's try 
mm-hmm. let's try externally rotating. Let's try internally rotating. What feels better? Or like in this video you and I made about down dog, and we'll put this link in the show notes, but when you feel a pain in your shoulder, if you do, you could also put your hands up on blocks. You could also try your hands wider. Like there are all these things you could try to work around feeling yeah, discomfort that's not in the, the shoulder. It's not the only one. Right. But there are so many possibilities. So good examples of how like proposing um, and teaching little details and little shifts within a move, within a pose that, that can be done in a helpful way. That's not a micromanaging way. What about, I'm thinking maybe we have, we just could do one more of our examples. Um, mm-hmm. What about finding a neutral pelvis? <laughs> you think about that one? I, I laugh. Um, I don't know what that means. What does that even mean? <laughs> I love that you're asking me what that means. Uh, okay, well, maybe I'll maybe I'll explain what I generally see happening in many yoga classes in terms of this micromanaging cue, which is that like uh, teachers will have students come into mountain pose or tadasana where they're standing, and then they will have them. So everybody stands just the way they stand. We all have this natural self-organized manner of standing. But then where the micromanaging often comes in is when we override all of that and we, um, you know, just do all these little detailed micromanaging adjustments and the pelvis is a big area where that tends to happen. So the belief is that generally will, um, you know, optimal alignment is in quote neutral pelvis and that uh, of all too often we tend to either have a pelvis that's too far anteriorly tilted or too far posterior, like tucked under. So we need to readjust. We need to override what our, how our nervous system is um, organizing us in order to reorganize back to neutral. And we like do that in often in Tadasana, but then we try to keep that neutral pelvis as we move through the rest of our practice. Does that kind of make sense? Nope. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, I get it. So I get it. Uh, get it. But the the funny thing to me is that what, like when people say neutral, what do they really mean? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. the natural average resting state for most people is a few degrees of anterior tilt. So what I am still trying to wrap my head around is that when people say neutral, are they saying, okay, we're trying to find this, we're busting out our protractor. We're <laughs> palpating your anterior superior iliac spine and your posterior superior iliac spine. And we're measuring to make sure that you're in zero degrees of pelvic tilt in Tadasana. And then that you, yeah. And then that you maintain that throughout the rest of your 60 minute, 75 minute practice. That's so, first of all, that's, that's out. Well, the, obviously nobody's busting out the protractor, but it's outlandish to think that you, that it's outlandish to think that you could maintain that zero degrees um, because your pelvis just moves when you go into different poses, right? Uh, In fact, in a fitness context, we sort of talk a little bit about this too, this idea of finding neutral um, and then maintaining neutral as we squat and as we deadlift. But as it turns Mm -hmm. out, there's Mm -hmm. research that shows that it's impossible to maintain neutral. Even if it looks to the naked eye like you're Mm -hmm. neutral, you're still going into lumbar flexion and posterior pelvic tilt as you descend into a squat or a hinge um, or like a a forward fold maybe in in the yoga context. So anyway, but my other point was because normal natural resting posture is seven or whatever, I don't know, maybe I made that number up of, but I I think think the number is I remember that too. A few degrees of anterior tilt is like the average or norm for Mm -hmm. the general population asymptomatic people too yeah when we say neutral 
is that actually what we mean? Because that's that's natural. Or are we saying you're normal? Most people's normal of a few degrees of anterior pelvic tilt. They need to reverse that by lightly tucking the pelvis at all times throughout their yoga practice. That is my experience of it. Yeah. So I I th I think it's fine. Okay. So we can explore our anterior tilt. We can explore our posterior tilt. Yeah. And then we can come to somewhere in between. Like yeah, mm -hmm. we don't want to be uh, overly yeah arched. We don't want to be overly flattened. Um, but this neutral is a. I think we need to consider it as a range and recognize yes. that it's not one thing. It's not zero degrees. It's it's definitely not zero degrees. Probably it's probably more like a slight anterior tilt. Mm -hmm. And so it's okay to explore that, but it's not like, oh, well now, now that we've found this at the beginning of class, we need to hold on to this plus or minus nothing, you know, right. like not allow it yeah. to go forward or posteriorly tilt or anteriorly tilt and keep that through the rest of our class. Because if we don't, we're going to hurt our back or we're going to hurt something else or um, Absolutely. there's going to be a natural disaster or <laughs> we're going to like either, either in this moment or we're going to pay for it later if we're out of neutral. Uh, yeah, the, totally. Those kinds of predictions are just rampant. I feel like in my observations yeah. in the yoga world. Yeah. 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 So I think, um, readjusting and uh, quote organizing pelvic tilt is an example of micromanaging but that doesn't mean i think just to our greater point in this episode it doesn't mean that teaching with an awareness of the pelvis and maybe cueing pelvic tilt sometimes outside of this idea that you're controlling to optimize but it's more just like you said for export like feel a full anterior tilt feel a full posterior tilt what can you find yeah. in the middle or sometimes you can um change pelvic tilt in order to change again what tissues are being targeted in a certain movement yes. so if you're in a lunge you know like say high lunge yeah let's say high lunge if you're in high lunge and you want to stretch the hip flexors on the back leg actually let's say low lunge let's say the back knee is down um if you, uh, it's very common when people come into that type of position sometimes they do anteriorly tilt the pelvis they tilt it forward it's not bad but that may bypass some of the hip flexor stretch you're looking for so in that That's case perfect. you might override and say let's work a posterior tilt temporarily in this pose with the intention of stretching the hip flexors right that's a perfect example yeah right so that's still detailed cueing and that's still teaching with detail um but it's about targeting tissue in a certain manner it's not about like fixing correcting yeah we're not trying to organize into yeah. one perfect alignment or perfect posture because there's no such thing we're just exactly. saying hey try this oh right. do you feel more stretched through the down right? hip the, the front of the down hip great like whoa isn't that cool look what you yeah look what you can feel in your body when you make this change mm -hmm. so i think that yeah i think that uh kind of encapsulates it and and kind of summarizes i think what we're trying to say with this episode which is that it's it's nuanced right um but teaching in a detailed manner can be done in a way that's much more micromanaging and unnecessary and overcomplicates things. Or it can be done in a, in a really intentional way where we're trying to have people learn and explore their bodies or target specific tissues. There are a lot of reasons why we might use those details. Yeah. So, the, and there, there are different contexts where each one is appropriate. Like I, I can think of a perfect example from a fitness context of a deadlift, which we mentioned earlier, picking up a weight off the floor. Uh, for somebody who's just starting out, it's really important not to give them too many cues because mm -hmm. they could get paralyzed with the analysis of it. So like I had a mentor who 
all he would say would be butt back chest up yes yes and then That's like it. let, let the person go uh yeah. and that often you know as long as they they have the the necessary mobility to mm-hmm. as long as they're put in a position where the 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 height that they're lifting the thing from and the the particular variation of the deadlift is matching their current abilities if you put them in that position and then give them those two cues oftentimes they can do a pretty nice job with it i've also seen there's like i i don't this was years ago but i stumbled across an article it was like uh probably a thousand words about how to deadlift and actually we we have a blog post about how to deadlift we but do. it wasn't we it do. wasn't that Our, ours is good this one this one was interesting but it was talking about all of the fine-tuned things right um you know feel your right big toe feel yeah. your left oblique put your tongue on the roof of your mouth Um, draw your chin in Mm -hmm. uh, how to breathe where to direct the air and like I don't know maybe there could be a situation where that is all I mean it was important to the person who wrote the article and he obviously uh, thought all of those details made for a better execution of the movement Mm -hmm. Um, but that level of analysis would be overwhelming uh, counterproductive and overwhelming yeah can't hold all that information in your head. Like movement is just, are you, are you suggesting maybe yeah. things could be simple, simpler than they're often made to be? Yeah. So he, he was, he, he was purposely complicating it and, mm-hmm. and I felt over complicating it. And there are whole schools of thought, perhaps in the yoga world, certainly in the fitness mm-hmm. world, they, they complicate things a lot. And mm-hmm. I wonder if they're complicating it to sell something or complicating it to look smart and seem like they have the secret to the to movement or if they're complicating it because it's really necessary to help people reach their goals and i I think it's not those no no i think those are the pertinent questions to be asking like yeah where's the overcomplicating come coming from and i think in many cases it's those first two things you suggested probably not unfortunately Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if you just teach things in a simple way, maybe maybe you don't look as smart or as knowledgeable. But actually, the irony is maybe you are smarter and more knowledgeable because you understand that. Yeah, and I, I bet students would. I, I guess it would be different from student to student, but I bet that some students, like their favorite teachers, are the ones who can teach them the most simply or with the fewest complications. Uh, like they they probably I would imagine that that's some people's favorite experience and again there are probably some people who want to be Mm -hmm. want it to be complicated and want to get into those weeds and if that is the case then we just hope that if if that's what is going on that it's narrated around the Mm -hmm. the you know the more positive way that we have talked about approaching it totally yeah 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 used in that positive context rather than uh yeah controlling potentially nocebo type context, things like that. I think that's a really, really excellent way to um, kind of wrap this all up and summarize the main takeaways from this conversation. But I really enjoy getting to talk to you about this topic today. Um, Same. Yeah, thanks for making so many great points and insights from your experience, both in yoga, but also on the fitness side of things and the PT side, the physical therapy side of things as well. Um, there's so much. I feel like we could talk about this for much longer, but we've 
we've got to wrap it up so this isn't so long yeah well i think we're going to talk about it again oh you're right in a couple episodes and also a lot of these are themes that we that just tend to be woven through a lot of what we talk about so we'll be coming back to this stuff for sure um but today was a really nice look at just that whole concept of micromanaging and i hope that our listeners will have found it helpful and uh interesting thanks so much travis thank you jenny and that wraps up our look at micromanaging in yoga and movement teaching Remember to use code PODCAST30 for 30% off your first month in any of the memberships on my website, including Travis's and my Strength for Yoga remote group training program. You can learn more and sign up at JennyRollings.com and the link is in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Yoga Meets Movement Science today. And if you found this discussion to be of value, we would so appreciate your support if you had time to subscribe to this podcast and to leave us a rating or a review. We look forward to seeing you in our next episode soon. Mm-hmm.